Welcome to the Next Step Podcast with Jay. And Brad. Wait. Wait. I'm Brad. I'm Jay. I'm an All act. Right. All right. You awake? Do it live! <laughs> we do the news after the Ask the Attic, so... So we're pretty burned out. We're kind of tired, um, but we are excited. I got two news articles. You want the addiction one first or the religious one first? Give me the religion first. Have you seen the stuff, that the new laser scanning, and they're able to scan the Amazon and ancient Mex- Mexico? I have no idea what you're talking about, so no. So laser scanning reveals lost ancient Mexican city had as many buildings as Manhattan. Shut up. Send that to me. So they, I want to read that. You'll read it? Yeah, I actually will because I don't have the family for the next three days. So this is, this is just when you thought the new everything. Scientists discover ancient Mayan city hidden under Guatemala jungle. Aerial laser mapping detects thousands of hidden structures to Petan reason, suggesting it, its population was millions more than previously thought. Laser scanning reveals lost Mexican city has had many buildings as Manhattan. Manhattan. Groundbreaking, li, it's, all, it's called LIDAR scanning, L-I-D-A-R, Falls reveals the true scale of, I don't know how to say this, Angamucho, built by the... Parupucha, about 900 A.D. Whoa. Um, Which falls in line with the stories. We yeah, heard. dude. Like, look at these. Wow. Look at these scraps. So these are not Mormon things. Like, these yeah, are just. This is just like. Yeah. This is just. Uh, what do they call this? Um, geolo- nah. Geology. <laughs> geographers. These are Indiana Jones people. Yes. The people that <laughs> like to wear those tan clothes and those cool hats and a whip. <laughs> they always wear that hat, though. That hat you get in the, in every single airport. So look at these, uh, like, renditions. Like, these are the drawings from the Book of Mormon. That That's now, what's crazy. When you watch now, the New Testament movies, right. like, they always look like this. But this is, like, the drawings of non-Mormons drawing, like, oh, here's what the cities look like. And you go look at, like, <laughs> what our Book of Mormon website. drawings are. They're like, oh, you crazy Mormons. Oh, yeah. Sure, there sure, were they were structure. Sure, they, they had were, highways and river systems. They were all uh, savages here. They weren't yeah. like Egypt or they weren't like right. the Middle East. Yeah. It's funny that the public will accept Middle East was that way, but, you know, Egypt, Rome, all these places, but not yeah. here. Yeah. But now we're finding it's true. Yeah. All right. So you anti-Mormons that uh, say that didn't happen. There you go. <laughs> I'll post that up on the show notes. Send that up. Next thing they is... Post uh, on Facebook. I want to get I did. a copy of that. Okay. It's on our Facebook page. Right. Okay, good. Um, on our, the next step, it's actually 12 steps. So facebook.com forward slash 12 steps to change. Uh, the next one is Steven Tyler. I said, what this way? Brother Steven Tyler. I don't think he's a member of the church, but I'm sure we can start some rumors. I know. I like how you said brother. (laughs) I, I was in the temple with, everyone's our brother with, um, Steve Martin. When? Um, my, at my sister-in-law's wedding. Really? Yeah, it's her uh, father-in-law. It's Steve Martin. Uh, Steve the, Martin. With the white hair? No. Wait. Not related to the community. Oh, okay, okay. His name was just Steve Martin. Okay, okay. But I'm telling everyone I was in the temple with Steve Martin. Ah! Because no, the people can talk okay. about it. That's how rumors get spread. Okay. Okay. So uh, this was in, uh, in a Hawaii Maui Times. Uh, Steven Tyler offered a description when he spoke to Maui's drug court graduates. So he spoke to some graduates. My name is Steven, he said. I'm an alcoholic and a recovering drug addict. Interesting is if you stay listening to us, we're going to talk about self-identification. There's Steven Tyler self-identifying as an alcoholic and a recovering drug addict. 
Good for him. He went on to say, my hat's off to you, he told the graduates. You're my heroes here today because you have come from somewhere that I lived myself. To come out through the wormhole like you're doing today is a true beyond belief miracle. I'm so proud of you, each and every one of you. Do you know Tyler lives on Maui? I didn't know that. I was just thinking, why is this guy in Hawaii <laughs> speaking to college students? Yeah, he's got a probably a nice spread in, in Maui. Um, he said, he wanted to say, I'm honored, so honored he's surrounded by such high-ups. Judge, okay, whatever. Talked about judge. Um, he Say touched on his addiction Say struggles, women. including four stays in rehab. Ah. I've got my reasons, he said, referring to his addiction days. It was the thing to do back then, and then it became the thing to do after operations on his feet and knees. So prescription yeah. probably, right? Yeah. Drawing on his experience, Tyler offered advice from graduates. If you have taken, if you have to take any drugs... Do not hold them yourselves, he said. And if you're in a 12-step prep program, if you're in a 12-step program, keep going to meetings. You stop going to meetings, you're going to use again. Boom, Whoa. mic drop. The way you share this program is what Go you Tyler. with other meetings. That's what saved my life. So I want to pass it on you guys. So Brother Tyler said, "Go to your ARP He's meetings." He's saying that at just like a random college. No, he's at like a court where the people oh, finish up okay, mandatory cool, treatment. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So teenagers that are forced to go, probably maybe something that you what did. If he was forced to go there and speak. Uh, no, he says he just volunteers to go there because he lives on Maui. Rad. So he just shows up there for the graduates because isn't he doing step 12? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I mean, sometimes you get like celebrities probably. Get. Tyler said he lost so much of his addiction. I ruined my life. It took everything away that I loved and cherished. The problem for me was I got high for so many years. After I did Madison Square Garden, I got high. That's what I lived for. But, but how did it change? By working a 12-step program. Boom. Tyler said he, go, he still goes to 12-step meetings and has two sponsors, one on the East Coast, one on the West, because I don't trust myself. Hear that, Mormon people? Wow. So this guy's got all the money in the world. He could pay for all the professional help, all the professional counseling. He found recovery. He goes to 12-step meetings and has two sponsors. And he said, if you'll stop going, you die. One of the most important things that A has given to me, in addition to freedom of my drug addiction and booze, is the ability to take right action. They say, if you stay sober, your wildest dreams can happen. You wind up being, my, you, you wind up be, being best friends with a judge. Um, I love a family that loves me, a girlfriend who loves me, all because I'm sober, all because of sobriety. There's nothing compared to being sober. Dude, this guy has sold out Madison Square Garden. Nothing compared to being sober. That's a testament to me there. Um, he said he visited Maui back in 90, 1976 after writing Walk This Way, and he says, now I live here. Now I say I'm Kaimana. My life is beautiful. Good for him. So there you go. Some inspiration from Steven Tyler. Um, Wild man. He still looks like a, uh, Wild my man. grandma right there. <laughs> <laughs> he's got an interesting style. But he... He's, uh, he's bad, eh? He's a, he's, that's cool. I, I, just, I get inspiration him. on that. And, you know, people want to know, like, why do you identify as an addict? Why do you still identify as an addict? Because step 12, you're going to help other people. You're selfish, I well, think. Well, and it's like he said, you're you're, you're still, we're all just one pill or drug or alcohol away from dying. Or a few me missed meetings away. Yeah, it's a good so, way to put it, too. Sometimes uh, I think 12 steps are new to a lot of members of the church, and so I like to bring this AA culture and share that, that across you do, the Brad. country. That you do, Because I'm it's new to me, so I'm... In, it was definitely I'm, new to you, but you grasped it and have spread the word. I'm a student. I love it. Should yeah. I post that, like, two-and-a-half-hour origin thing on our... What? That interview with that Harvard uh, professor, that Harvard guy who researched amazing. Origins AA. Please do okay, that. Okay, I'll post that up there. 
for you students of AA and your students of students ARP, of the 12 steps, yeah. students of 12 steps, because you, I think the, we're... You know, learn all the Joe and Charlie tapes, the big book, this guy. You I need think, to read all, everything you can about the steps. I, I, we get a lot of feedback from outside uh, and all over the church, but specifically outside of Utah where their meetings are not... You know, they're not full. Most of my wisdom came from outside the meetings. Like, and most of my wisdom came from the studying of these dudes that started it all. And they're, I believe they're really inspired. So we can take the what they have. And if you go a, if you go to 12-step meetings outside of AA, do please go to ARP and support it. And yeah. bring what you've learned. And let's overlay the gospel of Jesus Christ on top of that. Keep going, your AA. If you bring they will come. They will. We're not special. We've just done what other people have done. Okay, let's go on. The sh- we're going to share, I think it's step seven, and then we're going to do Ask the Addict with Jay and Xander. We're going to talk about self-identifying as addicts and the power that comes from that. And if you like this podcast, do you like this? Are you listening right it. now and do you like it? Yeah, um, I wish I do. Maybe you should go to 12stepsofchange.com. Mm-hmm. There's a little button up there that says support, donate. Maybe consider a month, buck a month, a couple bucks a month. See if we can uh, keep this going, keep bro. This, keep this mothership going. We'd appreciate it. And also, please send us these messages: Instagram direct messages, Facebook messages, email, and if questions, concerns, and, and send us questions. We're we're really. compiling them up. But if you've got questions, those are fun for us. Topics to answer. that you want to yeah bring up on the podcast. Questions you have, we'll bring we'll we'll answer them. Okay. Okay, I'm an act. I'm grateful to be here. That was an amazing meeting. I know everyone felt the spirit because it was just it was just strong and. Um, I've been to a meeting in a couple of weeks. I, uh, it's just, you know, just was on, you know, had stuff to do the, the, the week of Christmas or the week before last. And then last week I just came down with the worst flu of my life. And that was, that was an experience. And <clears throat> I can, I can feel it. I mean, two weeks, I mean, the week prior to that, so my last meeting, I got my five year chip and I went to several meetings throughout that week. And so you know, the next week when we were out of town um, on a little staycation with our family, and, you know, it was good, but, you know, I was like, oh, and then I got busy the next two days when we got back, and I'm like, oh, I went to a bunch of meetings the week before, and, you know, that's kind of how pride works, and then and then last week I was looking forward to coming to the meeting because I missed the week before, and then I got sick, you know, and, and then I had to go five, six, seven days in delirious land, you know, and um, it's just, it, there's so many things going through my mind that I want to share, but... Um, you know, humility, I mean, this is what the first, you know, the word right here at the front of this page is like, <laughs> and I know none of you were there at my first meeting and, and no one saw where I was five years ago, but um, that word was nowhere near my character, my personality, my thoughts, my feelings, my heart. Uh, there was no humility in my heart. There was, there was, that word didn't exist in my existence. It was pure anger and pride and ego. And um, let alone coupled with a massive drug and opiate addiction and painkiller, you know, muscle relaxers, Xanax, you name it. Anything to get me to not feel anymore and to not, you know, it went from, you know, a justifiable pain to, to, to sickness, pure sickness. And um, I was as sick as anyone with any disease that was, that's terminal. You know, when I walked in these meetings, I was terminally unique. I walked in and I had pride and I said, well, I'm not like anyone in this room. I said that in my mind, I said it out loud, and I believed it. Um, and it was, all, it was all Lexi's fault. It was all the doctor's fault. It was all God's fault. It was all my bishop's fault. It was all, you know, these lists of people, right? Because it starts with one thing, and then before you know it, you know, in order to justify that first lie, you've got to start adding to it. Because after a while, that first, it's not enough, you know? And because um, you know deep down inside you're lying. And, and uh, it's amazing how 
just like a list of gratitude, your list of things that you're making excuses for and justifications of why are you using or acting out in your addiction can grow. And uh, humility, you know, if you're, if you're new and you're not on the step, it's like people have already said, it seems, it's like, how can I even get to there? How can I get to that point where I want to walk in here and just, I can't wait. I can't wait to experience the, the shares and all that stuff. And, you know, all I got to say, you know, from my experience, that's all I can share is that um, don't live in the future. You're, you're not, you know, it's hard, it's easy to say, but it's so hard to do. Like, um, you got to be in the present. And that is, that, is, that is something that is the most challenging thing, I think, for myself and for almost all of us, right, for everyone I know, to just be in the now 24-7, you know? And, and, but if you can do that, you're, you're kind of in eternity because then it's always happening, right? And not to get crazy to think like that, but, you know, that's, that's where our brain can be. When I walked in the meeting, I was living in the past. Then when I wanted to get like what everyone had, right, I started to feel good and I wanted to keep coming back. So a few months into going to meetings, I then wanted to be where someone else was. Where, where was the guy taking the year chip? I wanted to be where he was, right, or the sixth month or whatever. Then I started living in the future. Well, that's, 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 that's anxiety and pain too because you can't be there, right? Your brain only really knows how to process the present. And, um, and um, when I got to this step, by the time I got here, like Neil said, you know, I started off so great. There's so many things that lead up to here. The list of things that I had to be humble for. When I got to this step, I had been sober for a year. And it was like, he said, it was like my list was, <laughs> when I first went, I thought it was just drugs. And then I realized like, whoa, <laughs> those are the least of my problems. Those were going to kill me for sure. But like once I got sober from that, there was a laundry list of things that were keeping the spirit out of my life that were keeping God out of my life, that was keeping any spiritual growth or any happiness that, you know, I claimed that I wished I had. But yet I was, there were so many things that I had to surrender. And from the minute Neil started sharing, from the minute we started reading, from all your shares, the thing I kept hearing that goes with humility, I believe, no matter what step you're on, is surrendering. All right, step one. And if I've learned in the only way to get sober, the only way to keep your sobriety, the only way to continue to grow is to continue to surrender. And um, our prophets have talked about it, our apostles living in the past, in the scriptures, continually finding things to put on the altar. You know, um, if you come here long enough and if you stay coming here, you'll realize that whatever brought you, your, like was said, the motivations, those things change. And then you realize you're, you know, sometimes like Greg says, you're coming to give back. And that's not prideful, that's a great thing. That's what we're commanded to do. That's what 12th step is, is to give back. To now give to others who are trying to achieve what was given to you, right? We're all freely given this thing. And um, surrendering is very hard. It's very hard. And, um, but it's extremely rewarding. And there's one of, these, one of the scriptures, uh, or one of the things it says in the action steps. It says, <clears throat> in quotes, this is from Joseph Smith. I mean, the most, I don't know a wiser person that has ever lived. Um, I really don't, you know, he was full of flaws, you know, that we've learned about, but reality was he's the most wisest man I've ever, I've ever read any of his words. And I really feel that way. And the spirit is so strong when I read his words, but it says a religion that does not require the sacrifice of all things, never has the power sufficient to produce the faith, nece the faith necessary unto life and salvation. I'm telling you, this thing is hard. Life is hard. Life's already hard, but then when you have addiction on top of it in your family, it makes it harder. However, if you surrender yourself, 
If you surrender your will, your pride, your ego, your, your spouse's problems, your problems, you surrender that, like Ether 1227, it becomes strength. And then it's not a problem anymore, right? It's faith. It's something that you can go back to and use to get to the next thing and to hurdle over the next thing and then to sometimes help other people. And um, I'm so grateful to be alive. I don't, you know, I've had a, a lot of people call me over the holidays because it's, it's a hard time. For, like, just like Corinne said, I had a friend I hadn't talked to in a while. You know, you don't realize people follow you, right? And, you know, and I post a lot on Facebook about my recovery and getting our five-year chip and... Um, I had a friend who I hadn't talked to since probably I was single and in my drug use. And, um, you know, like actually had a conversation, but she called and said, you know, um, her brother's a heroin addict. And it was hard. She's been away from the problem. But now being in the problem while she was home for the holidays, it was tough. It was tough to see her brother shooting heroin. It was tough to see her mom enable her brother to death, you know, probably going to be to death. You know, life is challenging. And, um, but I felt the spirit so strong. Um, tell her that what we're talking about tonight, which is surrendering. And I'm so grateful that um, I found my way into these rooms and I'm so grateful that um, I chose to surrender one thing at a time. You don't gotta give it all up. I mean, if you're, if you're at a point in your life where you're ready to give it all up, then do it, <laughs> do it. You know what I mean? But just start where you need to start. I promise you, if you start along the path of surrendering and humility, it'll grow and you'll add things to it. It won't just get stagnant. You're not going to just come to an end and be like, done. And No, I promise you, there's so much work to be done on yourself and on others that uh, you'll learn something new every day if, if, if we want to. And I'm so grateful for this program. I'm grateful for this church. I'm, you know, like Lex said, grateful for this time of year to reflect and to be able to get my five years around the holidays too is, you know, that first, that first Christmas when I was, my wife, when she left me, was the worst Christmas of my life. It was horrible. But look at five years, you know, look what can happen. And many other people in this room have had that experience. So um, it went from complete pain to pure joy every year since. So, um, so keep going. If you quit, you're, you're the one who loses out. You know, I had someone call me and want help and this, that, and the other. And I told him, I said, well, if, if you use that's that's on you. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not on me. I'm, I'm going to go to bed sober tonight. So I hope you do the same thing. You know, I'll be sad for you, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna feel that pain. You are, you know, and you got to take this thing reality. You got to take this thing like that. You have to look at it that way. It is life or death, and if it's a sexual sin, it's spiritual life or death. I promise you that, because we all know what it's like to to be spiritually bankrupt. And um, this program saved my life, and I'm I'm humbled and I'm grateful to be here. And I hope everyone in this room keeps coming back. And if you haven't done the steps, do them. If you're stopping. Once again, you're the one who's going to suffer. If you stop doing the steps, you will not get the blessings. If you continue to do the steps, you will get the blessings. I promise you that. I promise you. It took me a long time to finish them, and I regret it took me so long. That's the only thing I regret in this whole program is that first year. I should have did them right away because you get, they come. They come to everyone. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Hey, go ahead and tell me when you're done eating so we can start recording. Do it live. We actually had someone comment that they love when I say when you say we live. Love it when Jay quote does it live. I do it live even with food in my mouth. Currently is a Luna bar that we are not sponsored by, but I would love a Lara bar. Hey, you know what I love are those RX bars. Is those is it the RX bar? It's the one that's like, like the so full egg. It's like, like a very plain. Oh yeah, those are bomb. What are those? Oh yeah, they're amazing. Are I want one right now. This one. This one has peanut butter, chocolate chips, and a bunch of other good ingredients that are all natural. Jay is back on the program. I'm going to warn everybody. If you're following Bison Flesh on Instagram, it's PG-13 for sure. Uh, it could be rated R. Huh? That's recording. Oh, I didn't know we started. Hi, Xander. Hey. What's up, bro? When did we start? <laughs> we just said do it live, baby. <laughs> do it live. We're professionals, Andrew. You know, we're so smooth. You don't yeah, even know. No, I know. I but like the we towel, in the studio. but the towel is a little low on your picture. So I'm just warning. Like you're gonna see Jay get extremely ripped. But you might. I don't know what that thing's called. That V thing. That's what it's called, baby. It's the V. But dude, <laughs> dude they're getting they're a little low. They're getting low. They're getting low. So anyways, just that's warning. not on our our Instagram or like our no, next step. No, it's personal. It, I wish it could be because be honest, I went from large to in charge. But but you're on. You're like not private, right? Yeah, I just became private just uh, in case. Oh, okay. So you might request it, and maybe he'll accept you. But if you're on there already following Bison Flesh. Be careful. Okay, I have. Yeah, people are like, I, what are I, you talking about? I got a topic for you guys. Um, because, um, and this started by we had uh, we we have someone uh, that was actually on the podcast, um, Corinne, who yeah. who opened up on her blog and and shared her and her husband's experience with pornography addiction, mm -hmm. and very open, honest. Like it was a big deal for her to to come out and share that for her and her husband. Um, and we're going to have Neil on here on a future, uh, probably in a couple weeks. Um, and but, and and you know there were hundreds of comments on whether it was on Deseret News or on her Facebook page and her Instagrams or you know her footprint's really big. Yeah. But vast majority, like every every, but there was one person that stood out that was like not positive. Quote: I didn't read your thing, <laughs> but. <laughs> You know what to say something. I, I didn't even read comment. it, but I wanna I wanna like comment and say how, who who are you to say that he has an addiction? Like it was like like basically who are you to judge? That's basically what I'm yeah saying, right. Who are you to no? Who are you to identify for someone else? Yeah, like, like I think I think addiction gets thrown around too often, and and it's not like she was calling her husband an addict. He self-identified. Yeah, she was just sharing a story about him self-identifying. And so that's what I want to talk about is self-identifying because for me as as the normie here. Um, that that's a, I've been to quite a few ARPs. And in the beginning, what was that like when you learned that people go around even though they were? What's it like to self-identify as a normie? Well, I, I did, I'm just starting to self-identify as that. I was I was tagged at by others. Um, <laughs> but I, but I guess I am. When I'm, the more I hang around with some addicts in recovery, I notice how normal I am when with my consumption of things. Yeah. But yeah. It's I, not a, you don't want to like. There's no club that you yeah. really want to be a part of. This is definitely no. I, we're doing I, it so we stay alive I, and like so we find humor in that irony. Like, but the, I honestly, my first meeting was like, dude, these people are freaking awesome. Like, yeah. I kind of wished I was an addict because the things, the depth of knowledge and emotion and were were you two specifically and and others have shared. Like, I I kind of was like, I. 
I wish I, I could get I, down. I kind of like wish I could get down, but dude, I want to. It's kind of like I want to surf a thirty foot wave, but I don't really want to surf a thirty <laughs> foot wave. I don't want to fall on a thirty. I don't want to. Kind of like I want to be able to get towed in and get barreled and come out clean. And if I could guarantee that's going to happen, I would for sure do it. But but with drugs and alcohol, there's no guarantee. I'm going to wipe out for yeah. sure, right? Yeah. Um, and so. That's, and you're gonna get held under. I'm gonna get held under for a three wave set, and I may not come up. So that's, I guess that's the best analogy. Is I was like yeah. super, like, dude, what you've, I what you've experienced, and I and I remember saying, you know, three years ago, like, I kind of wish I did. Like, I, I was kind of searching my inventory. Well, I'm like, maybe I do on this, and you'd be like, dude, shut up, like, no. <laughs> Like I <laughs> well, Anna would just say, "Trust me, bro. It's not a club you want to be a part. Like yeah. it is and it isn't. Like yes, some of us who made it, it's it's pretty it seems fun, but reality is more people don't make it that than do. But but so one thing that that stood out was you know had I, I saw this progression of people that you know clearly people with long term recovery had the old AA people that were like, I'm Bob and I'm an alcoholic mm-hmm. in you know 20 years. And at first, I'm like, why are they still calling themselves an alcoholic was one of the questions I had. Because it's different than conventional therapy. Like, when I went to my first marriage counseling, real quick, yeah. uh, first thing out of his mouth, he's like, oh, I don't really, and he's an LDS counselor, like, you know, and he, he's like, he's like, I don't believe in self-identifying, you're, you're demeaning the atonement if you're saying you're, you're, you're still identifying as something from the past. or so. I remember saying something to that lines, and I was like, yeah, that was one of you, my big hangups. You too. wanted to hear that. I wanted to hear that, but at the same time, too, I was like, why would I identify as something if I've stopped it? You know, it really does. In the beginning, it's so it seems counterproductive. At least it did for me, not for everyone. But I, I in the beginning too, I did, honestly didn't believe. As Xander, I literally didn't believe I was an act. Like I literally, as all the my life story that now is so clear to me now. At that time, I was still so full of my own lies, in a nicer way to put it, that like I didn't believe. I wasn't trying to convince anyone. I literally thought that, like I believe my own. I know you. We, yeah. You shared that a lot on here, and yeah. that's that's interesting, and that's that's not unique. Nope. I think a lot of people no. come in now that we've seen people, and that's not something that get that wants to be, you know, that honesty step of my life's becoming manageable yeah. is not easy from a behavior that is our fault. Like when it comes down um, to it, to be but vulnerable. but did anybody so. We have listeners that go to AARP meetings that don't self-identify. Like, that's a culture of lie. And then you have some that do. And and I have a firm testimony that following the A tradition of self-identifying is a powerful part of recovery. Um, and What are your thoughts, What are your sir? thoughts, Xander? Well... I mean, <laughs> you have any, yeah, I have Sandra, some, do you have any opinions on I that? I definitely have an opinion because just let me let me forge you to step one, okay? <laughs> which, says, which says what that you admit that you are powerless to overcome your addictions, and that you're an addict. I mean, you're admitting that you're an addict. So, but okay. So, and you and I were kind of talking before when Jay was getting his his Lara bar, that that uh, just because someone drinks alcohol, yep. Uh, smokes, takes pills, um, looks, has viewed or as viewing pornography, like, or even has an affair, doesn't mean you're an addict. Totally. Totally. You all agree with that? Yeah. At the time, I didn't believe that, but now that I've seen that, like... Well, you believe, what did you believe? I I used to believe, like, well, of course, because then when you buy all into the program after, like, you know, you, you, you go through the steps. At first, there was a minute there where... It was, I still hadn't learned. There's still a lot of learning, right? You're still learning, right? Always. So, um, but I remember thinking like, oh, if, you're, if you've been doing 
I remember reading the big book, and finally, when I because I first read the ARP book, right, the the twelve step book there. But then when I finally got the big book, a copy of it, and I, I read it several times on the audio book on the way to work or whatever I was doing, it came across the I don't remember what part of the chapter because I didn't have a physical book in my hand, but it talks about how there many of us. It says something about like many of us, if we stop drinking in our young age, because they're obviously talking about alcohol then maybe we wouldn't basically have become an alcoholic. Like basically, if you can quit early on, like basically if you're experimenting, you're still in that phase. And I look back on my life. So anyways, I, but then when you see so many people come in there and into the meetings and they, they talk about like they're doing this, you're like, oh, that person's that. You get in this like mindset, some, a little bit of pride, a little ego, and you start like identifying for people. But like that's a key thing that AA says not to do. Totally. Like, and I remember learning that early in recovery mm-hmm. that like no one person that says in the big book can identify for anyone. It says, I believe. And, and no, and when we, as a American culture, we flippantly throw out, "Oh, I'm a surf addict. I'm a bike addict. I'm a yeah, there's no rehab a, addict. There's I'm, like I'm a workout fiend. Like, I'm a fiend. I'm a flip. Uh, like yeah. we use this a lot because addiction is so prevalent in our culture. Yeah. It's become a positive thing to say you're an addict at whatever. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a fitness addict. I'm a gym addict. I'm a this addict. It's almost right. like replaced like guru. Yeah, right. yeah. Like you're into something. So I'm gonna like try and swim in some waters here that are definitely deeper than where I belong. But okay. but opinions I'm, express your are your I'm opinions. A, so let's a, well, dive these in. aren't these aren't these aren't my opinions. Okay. These are Dr. Phil's. Okay. But 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 <laughs> I like, he, I like but a Dr. He, Phil. I'm a Dr. Phil fan. Are yeah. you? But he not ta- a real doctor. Is this thing? No, he is. He well, is. yeah, kind of. But listen, I'll, we, go, I'll, I'll, I'll go to bat for Dr. Phil. I, I will go Dr. because Phil, that stash alone is amazing. It makes up for the cul-de-sac head. Like I love that stash. Go on, go on. I love Dr. Phil. Anyways, he talks about there's a difference between an irresistible uh oh you see this I, i'm gonna i'm gonna choke right, on it okay weird. hold on hold on what he's saying is that Perfect. basically that there's a difference between an irresistible impulse and an impulse not resisted an impulse not resisted is basically saying you were tempted by something and you didn't resist get diving into that temptation you made a bad choice right and that can spiral into other bad choices and but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're an addict an irresistible impulse is a place where i can identify that once i take opiates and they're in my system my ability to resist that impulse is then taken from me immediately where other people when they take opiates for the first time that doesn't happen to them does that make sense And so that's where I think that the, what we're talking about here is, yeah, no, just because you make a bad decision or you cheat on your wife or you drink alcohol, I think what there is something where people, as members of the church, we've, yeah, it's that. different because right because those are things that we're, we we believe These to not partake of the church. not partake in is like things like alcohol and tobacco. Sustain one hundred percent whether you're addict or exactly. not. Exactly, and mm-hmm. so that's where people will take that and they'll say, oh, well, he's an addict, and it's like, no, he's just he's just drinking and and. And he's not stopping, but he's not he's not an alcoholic. He's, he, he's not he's not trying. Th- I think he's that, not trying. He's to not stop. trying to stop. He's just drinking and he's not living the word of wisdom. There's a difference, though, if you're drinking, not living the word of wisdom and you're trying not to drink and you can't and stop. You, you can't and, stop. And, and that's what they say in the big book. Right. Like they say eventually they said, if you don't think you're one of us, 
go out there and and try some controlled drinking. Totally, see how it works. For well, you. And, the, and the big book literally, it's either chapter three or chapter five. It literally they how go works, through and yeah. they say they say you know we tried we said no alcohol in the home. We're only or we'll only have one glass of wine only on the weekends. Only this liquor and versus beer. Liquor versus beer, and it's like. How many times did I do that same thing with my addiction? Okay, I'm only going to take Vicodin because it has some Tylenol in it. Okay, I'm only going to take Percocet. Okay, I promise I'm not going to snort Percocet. Okay, I won't try Oxycontin. And and it, and you you set all these boundaries for yourself, and you literally break all of them until next thing you know you have a needle in your arm, and you're like, how, how did I get the it? hell did I get here? And, and your life's completely... You have no control or, or the ability to resist any impulse. And one thing it says on the Joe and Charlie tapes, talking about the big book, it said, uh, norm- it, they're talking about this exact part. I think there's chapter five, right? They're breaking down every chapter and yeah. no CDs. And I recommend if you've never heard of the Joe and Charlie tapes on iTunes, it's not actually in a, a book, but it's a CD. You know, like you buy the album, but really it's a it's them talking. It's a like seminar. ten bucks or something. Yeah, it's worth it. Worth every freaking penny. Yeah. I'd buy it for anyone that wants. Uh, I'll spend my own money for other people because of that. And I'm, well, take him up on that. He's take rich. him on. I'm, yeah. no, I'm not. Bison but, flesh. <laughs> bison flesh. Okay, the V line. Anyways, uh, uh, he, they, they break down that step, and uh, they said he, he basically says normal people that drink have never thought about before when they go to a drink, when they go to a, a club or a party or whatever where there's alcohol, normal people that aren't alcoholics don't go, okay, I'm only going to have one or two beers. They don't even count. No, no, no. Because they just, as soon as they get the point of excess, see, they break it down this way, that basically an alcoholic's mind or an addict or whatever, they're talking about alcohol, but an alcoholic's... So you could replace uh, inappropriate pictures, you could everything. food... Everything uh, from I'm about to say you can replace this with anything. Anything, any yeah, behavior. Yeah. Okay. They say the addict's brain or the alcoholic's brain or whatever, um, replace it. Um, as soon as they get, and I can identify with this, is what Xander was saying um, in a little different way, that a normal person who's not an alcoholic or an addict brain, when they get substance in them and they get to that point of um, wooziness or, or a feeling of, 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 euphoria. of euphoria, it's an uncontrollable feeling and they don't like it because they go, whoa, I'm not in control, therefore I will stop because I don't like this. The alcoholic brain, when it gets to that point, goes, I'm in control. I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm, in control. I'm in control. Give me more. I can do more on this. Well, I want to go out and drive. That's the craziest thing. I it's drive like, better. I drive better. No, no, trust me. I dance better drinking. I do everything better that's, drinking. That's, and that's really, Brad, how it is. I, I told you, when I was a youth, we went on career day to a dentist office. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the dentist, a bunch of, like, priests sitting around the yeah. dentist office, and he gave us all gas. Yes, gas. this is a great story. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Like, so I'm like, oh, all right. I'm here with my, like, my priest current visor. Like, I don't know. My bishop <laughs> might have been there. But, and I'm like... I'm like a fresh 16-year-old, right? I love it. And I'm like, oh, all right. We're so we're, we're sitting on the ground. He's like, you guys have to sit on the ground for this. I don't, is it considered getting high on laughing gas? Are you kidding? Oh, yeah, dude. That's everyone, like, you can that's get, like some of the best, every, best high you can get. Everyone, he had everyone do it. I'm like, all right, well, like, okay. Dude, as soon as I started feeling like out of control, dude, I was like, threw it down. I hated it. That's really? just interesting you described that. The first, so the first time I had laughing gas, I remember I was seven years old in my first cavity, and I remember the doctor putting the thing on. I didn't know what it was. It tastes like bubble gum or smelled like bubble gum or whatever yeah. the smelling was. I remember looking up at the ceiling and listening to the music. And I still remember this like it was yesterday. It's the first time I could think back of, of that woom, woom feeling, yeah. and I enjoyed every minute of it. <laughs> at, at five years old, at Rustin's uh, age, right, my son's age, this is the difference. This is yeah. at five years old, not even conscious really of your life. 
but I can remember the first time I got high. That was actually technically the first time I got high because I had several Some, cavities. Uh, and I, so I went through that experience multiple times. And that was the first taste. So, so besides being cheap, I refused the gas because I don't like the feeling. Like, I'm like, that. I when, don't I, like that. when I would go Isn't to that the weird? When you I guys would, are laughing at me. When I would, <laughs> they were like, it's 300 bucks. I'm like, dude, when I would go to the dentist, because at the dentist, like, if you, at the dentist, they're mixing it with oxygen, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. No, and he like, gave us straight stuff, I think. No, no, well, th- there's a chance yeah. that, there's a chance That's, he did. But the bottom, probably the, unethical the bottom line is, is that if the mixture, like, normal mixture is like 50 50, I would always, even though I could feel it hitting me, like, oh, it's I'd, be like, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm just, I can't really feel this thing. And then next thing you know, they're like, put up like 70, 80, and you're like, oh my, oh, gosh, my gosh, the room's walls <laughs> are Boom. coming in. Brad, and that's good? No, oh, I love, <laughs> I love thing, that here's feeling. The thing. There were so many times where me and Xander would be in the hospital. I can't tell you, first of all, how many times I've been to the ER and visited Xander in the bed <laughs> where he was telling me that, oh, it's not working. But really, like, dude, we all know what was really going down. I've done that with my wife. And then we're laughing about it now because we survived it but reality is like the, i actually can see that because i've been addicted to pornography i've been addicted to sex at points in my life yeah so i want to talk I about get, the pornography the the per, what's yeah. the pornography poll so pornography so the first time i saw so growing up non-lds family radar movies were normal so so Nudity like was the normie guy wearing. like you see an attractive woman in less clothes you're like whoa that's hot yeah. but then it gets a point where you're like oh i better not i, I better look away or whatever let me tell you, I don't know if this is normal, but it was sure normal for me. But when I was a young age, I would I would take the VCR. When I learned how to record over tapes, uh, I, you know, let's just say that I learned how to record you, bad you, scenes in movies and freeze them and pause them. And, and this you is that younger than eight. I mean, I'm the most, you know, I'm not technically savvy by any stretch no. of anyone's imagination. <laughs> and we're talking about a time you when, like, the VCR out. way before computers, right? This is on TV as a child. And this is before masturbate. This is, um, we're talking personal stuff here, but reality, this is real talk, right? I would just freeze things and just stare at it. It's kind of like that feeling of drug. But yeah. it was like, not enough, knowing what was happening, but there was a euphoric The research said that dopamine goes off. The dopamine off. was happening. I mean, it's a natural it thing was, for If I could put myself back in that s- seven or eight year old when I first saw nudity on TV, um, there was, it was from that, from the youngest age of my, I, my existence of consciousness, I can remember going, wow, I want to see that. Being so, a, a girl. so. Um, and, right. and, and, and for some First addiction, probably, and none of us are claimed to be addiction experts here. No, these but are just right. Are you guys? Oh, no, no. no. <laughs> um, but there are some that are, you know, the one pill, the one drink that, that are hooked right then. Right. And then there's others. It's more progression. I was definitely hooked my first pill at opiates. Yeah, I don't know. See, I, I don't know. I don't, what do you think? I, I don't know. I, I, for, and I'm asking you your experience of all the people you sponsored and interact with. What I, is your experience with your first opiate? Because we have a similar story of how we got on opiates. We had already dibbled and dabbled in drugs in our youth, right? A little bit of pot, a little bit of alcohol yeah, for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. did a lot of that yeah. stuff. But uh, the point is, when we went on our mission, we were both at a point where we were spiritually prepared and clean and ready. No questions asked. No questions. Yeah. So what was your feel? I know my my experience, I'll share it after, but what was your like when you first had that? I don't know. For, for you, do you feel like it was a gradual thing? Do you think it was one of those things that immediately, that for the first time you took the pill, price Absolutely. Surgery? Absolutely. That, the feeling that I got the first time, I remember, I could tell you exactly, it was a it was a... It was a Watson 387 or seven and a half milligrams by uh, 300, 325 milligrams of Tylenol hydrocodone. Seven and a half milligrams of hydrocodone. And I remember, <laughs> you know to the mill. Yeah, the, the pill says Watson 387s. They were my favorite. They're little white pills. Like I, that. This is what I go back to, right? And, and and that feeling that I got from one of those pills, I literally 
five, ten years late, seven years later into my addiction, was literally taking hundreds of to try to get to uh, uh, amount, you know, this the same amount to try and chase that same feeling because as I've shared before, it was like I was hugged by God, and all my problems and all my worries is like. I don't like. I'm not being sacrilegious. I, I'm a I'm a faithful member of the church. At least I strive to be, and I have a testimony. But like, I hope, I hope that like, in the afterlife, that's kind of the feeling that I'm living with when it when it, you know, and then obviously it turns on you and it becomes not the way that you want to feel. But that very first time was like, it's it for me was it was on like Donkey Kong, and there there was no going back. It so, wasn't even logical choice. And, and interacting with other addicts in recovery, did they get the same feeling from other substances or behaviors? I, I speak. I, I could speak for a million people's experiences, but me for myself, I've been addicted. Here's the crazy part: I like, I've had different scenarios in my life where I put down one thing, and I'm, I'm like these people in the book. It talks about where if you don't find the solution, you'll just transfer addiction. Yeah, I've done switching, that. Switching rooms on the Titanic. There it was, and so like didn't realize I didn't. Yeah, so, I wasn't so, providing. So, so, so now it. it's really clear to you you're an addict. But you said Jay when you first came to meeting, you did not want to admit you're an addict, right? No, I had the same but hold on though, hold on though, because and I'm I'm asking, yeah. but I recall specifically that you didn't want to admit that in the conversation that you and I had after like one of your first meetings, mm-hmm. because Lexi was you and Lexi were separated, mm-hmm. and you didn't want that to be out in public mm-hmm. because you thought that you were getting a divorce and didn't want her to be able to have that yeah. ammo. Yeah, after a while, remember that first the first meeting we went to was with Nate Nate right, who's been on the podcast, so I can say because he talked about it, and we went and saw Nash at the yeah. pizza place, yeah. right? Yeah. And and you when had we pills in your pocket, pills in my pocket. Yeah. We went there, and when I was debating, that was had nothing to do with this life. is pre meeting. Like, this is pre meeting. This, this is pre that first meeting you talked I'd about. I've been home for a week, maybe two okay. weeks. And uh, and so I had my son, and then didn't have him that week. So now I'm really depressed, right? Because like the first week I got him, and then the next week I was left alone, and I still had some pills left, but I was still detoxing in a sense, right? And I, I, I remember that conversation because I was fighting so hard to tell him and his sponsor and the other guy that was with us, Nate, that I really wasn't like them. Like in my mind, I thought... I, I, I was on, I was I was definitely I was definitely abusing them in my mind, but I still thought at that moment I needed them to okay. function. Like God gave me a terminal headaches and terminal illness of whatever. That's probably that's probably common with prescription pills, right? Because Very you have a doctor totally. uh, legitimately giving you these pills, People and, you and we know how authorities how we know how easy it is now to get like, oh, how many do you need? What like they're just sitting there with a the script. Yeah, like I've been there. For, I've been hurt, and they're like, what do you want? What do you need? What kind of like? And I'm like, I don't. I'm yeah. fine. I'm. In, in all, in, in all fairness, things. too, because I think all, all people, all addicts do this in the beginning is like, I know that Jay looked at me. And when Jay and I, when I brought Jay to the meeting, that was, I was at the peak of my addiction. Meaning the bottom. Meaning, meaning my, th- my usage was literally so surpassed. Past where you where, were. Where I, Whoa. where I had started yeah. like. Like, so you're like, I'm not that bad. Yeah, like, yeah. Liter- so he's like, an addict, but I'm not there yet. Like, like literally. You probably never thought you'd go there. I literally thought he was an addict and I wasn't. No, like okay. literally like 20 times more than, than Jay. Jay's life was more unmanageable and more out of control than mine. But I could see how Jay looked at me and said, whoa, 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 whoa. My Just habit, because of my habit, yeah, my habit isn't Xander's habit. And the only difference was I just had a shady doctor who would give me 
just copious amounts of drugs, and your tolerance just builds and builds and builds yeah. and builds. Jay was getting the hole, Jay was it. getting the same effect yeah. from the same that yep. he was taking, but he would look at me and say, "I'm not. I, I don't have a five hundred dollar a day habit like Xander. I'm not taking Opana. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm not snorting twenty Opanas a day. Jay's mm-hmm. just. Still I took doing, a quarter of those and went to the doctor. Like went to the hospital. I thought I was thought dying. he was dying. He's called, his wife called me and said, "What'd you and do?" That was my at the husband? beginning of my addiction, and so I remember I'll never forget that. So when I like. And that's how crazy we are. And then, like we've heard James, who's been on the podcast, say mm-hmm. this too. Even when he was in the gutter, he could look down on people. Yeah. I literally, I wasn't looking down on Xander, but I, I always used Xander because we were so close to each other's life all the time and in and out of each other. And our addiction was so close to each other um, that when Lexi would freak out on me, my wife would freak out on me and go. He was the bottom. Yeah, I would say, well, I'm not like Xander. Because he was the person who well, and and Lexi knew me well, Exa- and she knew that Lexi knew how far down the hole I was, and so Jay knew that he could probably use that use as, that as manipulation yeah. leverage for yeah. sure. Like yeah. if it wasn't Xander, it would have been someone else. Like addicts do that. Like right, everyone. If we if we interviewed every dude who and and female who was here at this meeting tonight, and we talked about. It got them to open up like we're opening up right now because we're where we're at. They would all say the same thing. There's someone in their life that they've been judging themselves to. And like we've heard Brian say, he was better or worse. You know, he's never the equal to. Mm -hmm. And we do that to keep yourself leveraged in your addiction in a weird, sick way. And along that, also, when you went to a meeting where you're like, I'm... My addiction is prescription pills, which is not like heroin or cocaine sure. or alcohol. For sure. Like it's I a, walked in there and I it's thought. A, it's a better, I don't know if it's better addiction. Yeah, totally. better. Anytime, like anytime, one street, it's one street. Anytime I heard somebody, anybody, anytime I heard somebody say they're meth addict, I'm like, ugh. Ugh, gross. Like I would never <laughs> okay. take Adderall. But we would snort Adderalls. <laughs> we would steal Adderalls. We would take Adderalls. $500 a day opiate addict and I'm judging somebody. Judging someone for meth. Yeah, so, as if it's any different. And, and that's, that's probably no different from a pornography addict. I'm not doing drugs. Least. Or I'm not I'm not banging prostitutes. Or, I'm just looking or, at pornography. Yeah, that's what a, that's what more likely a porn addict would look like. I mean, yeah, they're going to judge yourself to the to the opiate addict, but they're probably going to go, yeah. "Well, I didn't cheat on my wife yet, so see, it's just porn." Back off. So what uh, I want to play some audio that I I asked some other people about um, about self identifying because and the power you, you had to get to the point where you like it changed you, everything for me. You you step one like you admitted that your life's unmanageable. Yep. Because prior to that point, powerless. That word's powerless. important. I was gonna say it's not just that, you know, that's a, before we go into that. Yeah. That's something we didn't we didn't even talk about this earlier when we were talking about the idea for this podcast being self identifying because we've talked about it a lot lately. One thing that I didn't realize that it kind of hit me in the meeting and what he just said. It's not just about identifying you're an addict of whatever. It's also admitting you're powerless to like you're powerless over your entire everything. Like you know what to, I mean? To overcome fill yeah. in the blank, right? But for for most of us, it's everything. Like, it's not just one thing. Okay. Right? It, it, like I said tonight, I came for opiates, but it ended up, I realized once I got off the opiates, I was powerless over me. Like, totally. I literally, could, I couldn't be not. There are high-functioning fun, high addicts and high-functioning alcoholics yeah. who, like, find a way to kind of compartmentalize their addiction. Can show up to work still, every morning. And still can show up to work and that stuff. Not yell at their wives. But, and but and I think all that I, and, and somebody might say, like, I, we even have one in our meeting who is a professional. Yeah. And... Who, and yeah. and and he said, you know, I, I think he he said he was he was a high functioning, but uh, my answer to that would be, yet meaning yeah. you're just not there yet. Like, cause sooner or later, I could function at one point, but sooner or later, it might be eight years, it might be twenty. Everyone's you're gonna different. get to a place where you're no longer gonna be able to compartmentalize that, and it's gonna be out of control in all facets of your life. Okay, 100. so listen to this, 100. and I want to hear your thoughts. 
Did you get power from admitting you're an addict or self-identifying as an addict? So for so long, I kept on denying it, just just pretended like I wasn't because as soon as I... What did you tell yourself you were? I, that I was having these tendencies, I was having bad habits, that I, I just had these weaknesses that I was trying to break through, right, and just to work on by myself. But, but the moment when I realized that it just it was getting worse and that, that when I finally realized that it was a, an addiction, that was, that was the moment that I finally started to break down the, the, uh, the I can do it all by myself. That was the first time I opened it up. You changed from saying I can do it by myself to I need, I need the Lord's help. I need something more than I, I can't do this on my own. I, I, I need something more than me. I need Heavenly Father's help because I can't do this myself. You relate to that? 100%. They were both staring at their phone. <laughs> well, being powerless and what it was like? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know Johnny's story. Um, but that's fine. Yeah, Johnny's been on the podcast. Yeah, that's right. I mean, obviously, I sponsored Johnny, so I remember that. We're, his, he, even though he identifies as an alcoholic, it was more sex and pornography. Like I said, I've been there with both of those as well, and uh, it's, it's definitely something that's, if not as and, powerful, and, more and, powerful and at times. And on the outside, time. functioning great, right? Yeah, I can look like, at pornography, and then I can go to work, and you're not going to smell pornography on my yeah. breath. Right, I can I can um, cheat on my wife, and you're not gonna you're not gonna see it in my eyes. Mm-hmm. I can pass a drug test tomorrow. I can function still the same in the beginning, just like out, just like drugs. So how, like Xander was saying is key. When I first had my drug when my drug addiction was hitting its peak, I just enrolled at school, and I like dude, I went from being someone who was completely illiterate to making the dean's list and getting a scholarship to BYU later. Like you know what I mean, like straight A's for three semesters until all of a sudden when I got to BYU. My first semester, I stood in front of the, I never forget that first day at BYU. I looked at the teacher. I couldn't understand a word he was saying. And I was sober. I just came clean to Lexi, and I got sober. I was like eight or nine days sober. I had kicked, or maybe two weeks sober. And I sat in front of the teacher, and I couldn't even comprehend what he was saying. I had become so functional as an act that then when it lost its functionality, I was completely dysfunctional. You know what I mean? And so I've seen the same thing, though, with pornography and sex addiction with myself and other people, that when... Uh, you, you know, you, you're looking at this, this, you're doing this thing by yourself, right? It, hopefully it's just pornography at that point. And you're by yourself and you can put it away and you can control it until you can't control it. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're doing it when you, like, uh, like drugs, like waking up first thing in the morning. I, I would go to bed saying, I just want to stop, God, please let me stop. I don't want to die. To like first thing in the morning, there was no thought. There was no like overcoming urges. I just, it was fun. I just did it. I just went right over to like a zombie to my medicine drawer and pulled those out and took them. And then afterwards, I go, crap, I didn't want to take them. Okay, I won't take any more. Once it was in my system, it was done. Same thing with pornography and stuff. If that stuff continues to live in the dark, it'll control you like anything else. And the scary part is, like we've heard before, you can't, it's not a substance you can shut off, right? Like these are natural, you're, you're fight. it's not... It's not natural for people to kill themselves with a substance. It just isn't, right? Like, that's against human nature. Like, our, we're, we actually have a system designed to fight poisoning, right? That's mm-hmm. what we detox. However, a lust for, like, or attraction to the opposite sex is something, or we've heard, you know, can be more. Opposite but, or same. Or, or same. Just sex. Is, 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 is na- can be natural when people are born with. Imagine trying to, stimulating that beast like we did with pills or drugs or alcohol, right. and then now having to control it. Yeah. But yet you still have to have it. Yeah. Because you don't procreate without it. You don't stay connected to your spouse without it. Imagine that. Yeah. It, it, talk, I, talk about one of the most challenging so things to live it with. It seems to me that sex and food addiction is very similar. Very similar in the fact that you got to eat to live. Yeah. You got to eat to live. You got to 
have sex technically in, in our belief to stay if you're married to, to yeah. be connected if you if you're in a sec, in a married, married relationship, relationship right? we believe that yeah so um so anyways it's very uh, it, identifying can release the power of these things is what we're obviously your convert jay did you uh i guess prescription is different but like if did you contemplate like uh drinking is fine if you're not a mormon or smoking. I still feel that so, no, no, what I mean well, is easy, easier to justify. Like, it's no big deal. It's just because I'm Mormon that I feel that this is a drag on me. Yeah. Uh, See what I'm saying? You what's your question? What no, he's saying is, like, if, if you grew up in the Mormon church, you're taught at a very young age, like, not to drink alcohol, yeah. not yeah. to do these things. And so you feel a certain way when you do when these you do things. When you guilty. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, is that what you're kind yeah, of saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I obviously grew up idolizing my grandfather, right? He's like my father figure for my life. That guy always had a Budweiser in his hand. He probably has one somewhere right now. Like, and, But he's not an alcoholic. This is a clear example of someone who drank heavily I've throughout his youth. been hunting with him. It's Bailey's Irish Cream now. Yeah, well, it's, it's switched. Yeah, okay. he doesn't drink as much as he used to. But this is, the, this is what we're talking about. If he was a true alcoholic, right, even though at times he probably drank a lot. You talk to my grandma when he was our age and in his young younger days. He The stories are crazy. They're him and his friends. But... Now in his later, if he was a true alcoholic, he would have died from that disease, mm -hmm. right? If he didn't get sober. He's able to put down a drink and not drink again, right? So I viewed it like that. However, once I joined the church, I obviously was like, oh, it's negative, it's bad. But here's the crazy part, because I didn't really self-identify as an alcoholic until my second year in the program in ARP. And the reason being is I started to look back at when I didn't start doing my fourth step. I look back at the four or five times I drank since I've been a member of the church, which was like 10 years at that point every time I was like, I'm just going to have a beer or whatever because I was pissed off or whatever. My girlfriend left me and I'm just going to take a drink. Every time I ended up in the hospital mm. from drinking, from drinking myself to the point where like I was throwing up. Cause so it wasn't, much that cause it wasn't just that one I beer. Die. I couldn't stop. So, so my point is on I couldn't control sexual, uh, addiction, uh, specifically pornography, like in the world, it's fairly common. Like Pornography is. It's actually told our, told some therapies in, and doctors in, in say some it's sex eds in like middle school and high yeah. schools. They're like telling I can find kids. millions of websites yeah. that say it's totally so what, what is cool though, on that same same note, there's studies that are coming out now, now that are showing that the are showing that are coming more yeah. of a line with the church. So, yeah, so 100%. I'm, I'm going to read this from. Uh, it's a psychologist guide, psychguide.com. Uh, am I addicted to sex? Okay, so t these things seem to be rung true with. A lot of them you just replace with sex with whatever substance, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's best to consult with a healthcare professional for proper evaluation for your sex addiction. However, you may want to look at the work out for the following signs. Do you feel powerless over how you act sexually? So act out sexually powerless, or powerless, yeah. right? Ooh. Number two, your sexual choices are making your life unmanageable. Step one. Number three, you feel shame, embarrassment, or even self-loathing over your sexual acts. Four, you, you promise yourself you'll change, but fail to keep those promises. And then the last one, you are preoccupied with sex, and it becomes a ritual to you. So, yeah. so this, like, this, Brad and I were talking yeah. before the podcast, and this is what I'm saying, and the difference between somebody who is just not able to resist some impulses is that after it happens, they're like, oh, yeah, like, you know. There's not this same internal struggle 
with with somebody who's an addict because an addict they're fervently trying they they don't want to continue to do this anymore it's not like a, oh i just kind of want to stop it's no i i want this taken away from me and at, at any cost and it, it doesn't happen so it's that internal struggle i think is what really separates the difference between somebody who's just making poor choices and acting so, out so so what what about this scenario like i'm a member of the church i have a firm testament in the church i have it's all there i'm just gonna pick uh let's say nicotine i love to vape uh uh nicotine okay my wife doesn't want me to do it but i love it it's great i want to do it good um, luck i mean I, but but what's your question? And, and it's highly addictive right yeah but uh but I don't want to stop because I just like it. Am I an addict? Well, I think there's two components to the conversation because you're talking about something that's physiologically addicting, like physically. Boom, okay. That's a good thing to cue in on. There's a physical addiction. Yeah. And then there's a psychological addiction. Absolutely. Okay. So like, like we, and like we talked about somebody else, we know with opiates, like, like, if you take opiates for, for a, a long enough time. time after surgery, you're going to become physiologically addicted no slash what. dependent no matter who you are. doesn't yeah. matter. What are some other substances like that? Well, you, I mean, know? I don't have a lot of experience with that. I'm like, alcohol trying. is that way, right? Don't your body physically? No. Because like, you have no, no, physical yeah, withdrawals? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, yes. Okay. If yeah. you for long term use? If you want to stop drinking, absolutely. It's actually In fact, the most dangerous that's, Yeah, 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 yeah. You, that, okay. you can't. You, you can never die. You from can't me. die from yeah, opiates. Yeah. You, you, you're gonna feel like you are gonna die, <laughs> you feel but like you, you died you're not gonna back. die. You, but you can die from trying to stop Seizures. drinking. Yeah, people die all the time, actually, and they have wet brains. And and, stuff like and, that. and then so uh, so like sexual addiction is not a physical withdrawals. It's more emotional, right? It's emotional addicting. The dopamine withdrawals. Yeah, sexually, sexual addiction for me is tough. I, I I don't claim to be an expert on it. Just asking your experience. No, no, and, for sure. Yeah. It, it's it's tough because it's like. I don't know how personal to get here, you know, but, but I'm, I'm in recovery now from, from opiates and five years in recovery now. But like after I engage in healthy marital sexual relations with my wife, like, of course, sometimes I just want to stay in those moments. Like those are great. They feel good. Mm -hmm. It's, it's fun. It's enjoyable. And so why wouldn't I just want to continue to do that? Right. So I struggle personally with, uh, you know, I, I haven't had the same experiences with sexual things in my, I was, I was, uh, when I got married, I was a virgin. So I just didn't have a lot of these same experiences that a lot of people with sexual addictions have. Like when it comes to opiate addiction, I've, I've had all the experiences. I know exactly yeah. where, where it's at with you know, sexual stuff. I don't. With, uh, a lot of the, and not everyone's been on the podcast, but I, I'm, a student of it. So I'm at, I ask pure pornography addicts, right? In recovery. Yeah. I'm like, when you go to a general ARP meeting, do you, uh, can you identify with the opiate addict or the cocaine addict or the alcoholic? Every single one of them is like, Oh yeah. Like everything, like I just replace, absolutely. I just replace alcoholic or whatever, but all the, the thoughts that go through my head are the same. And whether I'm, you know, flash, whatever, I think they like, obsessively going through websites or whatever or whatever however they act out is no different than the obsession no over chasing asked. I want to make sure that I make that clear absolutely when you, I hear a sex addict okay so that goes the other way for you when I hear them talk about their addiction and their all the things that go along with it I feel it to my core the same way that I talk about 
opiates and and so i don't i don't want to be misunderstood like absolutely i think that that their sexual addiction is 100% real and i just i look at it for me personally like i struggle with food too i str- like there's just in my in my life se- sex is obviously a part of my life it's something that i enjoy i don't know if i'm a sex addict i haven't gone down those the the, yeah. the same hole that i have like with opiates i don't know if that right. makes no, sense no it does um Hi, Jay. Hi. Um, we're running out of time here, but I kind of want to get... There's no time. Um, well, There's no time limit. Xander's got to get home. Xander can stay here as long as we want. Just um, so I want to know the power of admitting, like, Jay, you mentioned, like, you did not want to admit you're an addict. No. You didn't want to say, you know, with when you initially were at meetings, you talked about a lot of, like, I'm not as bad as that guy, that girl, that person, because my addiction is unique. And I read, uh, actually, I sent you the video of the guy who um, in, who did a, the research. I'm going to send it to yeah, you, Xander. Yeah. Where, Harvard research. Um, Harvard researcher. He's one of the only PhD. guys to get access to all the manuscripts. That's so cool. He got the original so manuscripts the of them. Did you send it to him? Yeah. So, um, you can send it to me. I sent it to you on the thread. You didn't respond. Um, I'm going to pull up. You I'm literally gonna... send me a hundred things a day. And if you follow all of them, who knows where your life would be? <laughs> <laughs> Ernie Kurtz, the early history of Alcoholics Anonymous. That was so good, dude. Honestly. That was great. Because I meant it, too. That was the part. <laughs> I think, like, I have so, so much to offer. <laughs> Sometimes Jada starts sending you stuff. You're like, uh, whatever. Like. Because I know he never reads half the stuff I send him, or or clearly ten percent. Anything that we I don't read half the stuff I send out. Sometimes people respond. (laughs) Get this: I posted something the other day, and someone's like, "Did you just send something?" I'm like, "No, it didn't say." I'm like, "Oh," and I read back and reread it. I'm like, "Delete it real quick." (laughs) Okay, so anyways, Ernie Kurtz talked about early early AA meetings, right? That the the problem was people thinking they're unique. Yeah. I'm my addiction's not like you. And yeah. as soon as they would humble themselves and and admit that I'm no better, no worse than that addict sitting across the table from me, the alcoholic, because when AA started was just alcoholics. Yeah. Until they were willing to admit that, they didn't find recovery. Totally. And as soon as they kept finding something unique or different about themselves. That's like the number one thing I had to because I started going to AA, right? And I was I like to drink, I enjoy beer. In fact, that's if I was to say I have any cravings today, like alcohol I've been I think I've been abstinent from alcohol for probably close to eight years so even longer than opiates but like I'll still crave like yeah. when I'm at, at a restaurant I see like someone pull up with a cold beer I'm like oh my gosh I would love a cold like beer. you smell the beer yeah, yeah, or walk yeah, through yeah. The, love, the, love that. the grocery stores like full of totally. booze and whatever and, but when I first went to AA like I wasn't there for alcohol I was there for my opiate addiction and so my sponsor just said, hey, listen, there's AAs where the 12 steps came from. That's the meetings you should go to. Notice the similarities, not the differences. And that's just what you have to do. Like everyone's story is going to be different. But if you look and you say, oh, that person doesn't understand because they didn't go through X, Y, or Z. Well, yeah, but that doesn't mean that they don't have their own X, Y, and Z that, that they're drinking or mm-hmm. using drugs or looking at porn or having sex because of it. So that, that's our, been our advice on the podcast is we have a lot of people throughout the even the world, but in the U.S. is our main listening is, you know, they're in Kentucky or Alabama or whatever, and they're like, our meeting, you know, my pornography addiction meeting is like one person there, a senior couple and one person who's got two days of being sober. Yeah. Well, go to a general addiction meeting. Go to an AA meeting. Totally. Go, go to a meeting. If you really want to 
get recovery. But also, good advice is when in Rome, you know, do as the Romans do. Like, if you go to AA meeting, you're a sex addict. Don't oh. don't identify as a sex addict. Say you're an alcoholic. Just replace. Yeah, that's yeah. what you did, right? You just yeah, said alcoholic. Yeah. Because you don't. That's respectful. Yeah, you, you, yeah, that's what you needed. That's respect. Okay. Um, I didn't believe, to be honest, I didn't know. Uh, I'll be a little vulnerable. I didn't believe that. Uh, I knew I'd been addicted to sex and pornography in my younger years, but I actually didn't believe that it was as big of an addiction. Here's how God has such a sense of humor in recovery. is like, when I first started doing this with Xander and going to those meetings in San Clemente, most of the people in there were drug addicts, right, and alcoholics. Like, there was no That's one in true. there identifying. In fact, I don't think anyone. No one. And I think um, one dude who we've talked about who's going to be on, you know, we're talking about Corinne, her husband. Mm-hmm. He's one of the first people to come there. But that was it. He didn't really get too detailed. He was really good about not sharing details and just kind of talking like an addict. So I just looked at him like a drug addict or an alcoholic. And uh, then God has a sense of humor in a sense of a way because – I, like, was having things in my life that I couldn't, you know, switching addictions from one thing to the other. And then we start this meeting here, and my first 10 people I sponsor were all porn addicts that had been cheated on their spouse. Meaning, why I say the sense of humor is, is I thought that certain actions were okay because they weren't X, Y, and Z. Well, it wasn't drugs. I wasn't killing myself, or I wasn't doing this, or I wasn't doing that. But then all of a sudden I start sponsoring these guys who are porn addicts, and they, but they, they're here because their porn went to actual infidelity. And I was like thinking to myself, porn will never go that way. Like, so that, that, that every other uh, addiction is progressive except that one. Ex- is right I just here. didn't even think about it that way. It wasn't even like a thought. I just didn't think. I was like, dude, it'll never go that route. But it was, it, it, I realized real quickly I could see my life and just like when you sponsor someone, you see yourself mm-hmm. in them, I could see how – um, you could end up there. I could end up there, and, and I've almost ended up there several times throughout my life, and, and I have in my younger years before I joined the church. I couldn't. The minute I opened the door after my mission to pornography again, I got disfellowshipped within a year. You know what I mean? I couldn't control it again. It was one of the hardest things I'll ever, I ever put down before my mission was to go that six months. That was the goal. And when I did it, I was, I was to the point where, like, I had to cut everything out of my life. That was a lot easier than Facebook wasn't around and stuff, but, like, uh, I decided to stop watching radar movies. I couldn't listen to music that had any sexual. So funny. Si- side note: Jay was such a green convert that <laughs> he didn't even know that like he needed to go talk to the bishop oh, yeah. about like sexual stuff. Until and we we we're driving to work. One I had already day. had my. We're driving to work one day and oh, and he's eighteen years old. And we're he's, both nineteen and he's, or eighteen. And he's telling me this stuff. I'm like, bro, have you told anybody this? Because we're like about to go on a mission or whatever. We've been going to mission prep now. We're working with and each other. And he's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, dude, <laughs> dude, we gotta talk. And like, it was the gnarliest. And then like, I think like, I'd already met with my bishop, and I was yeah, yeah. I, I was going to meet with my stake president that week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was gonna what say. What are the odds that this happened? That this conversation. That this conversation. Was... I just met Xander that two weeks. Oh, prior you had just met. Just we met. just oh. met each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But me and him were so easy to talk to anyone that like I think yeah somehow we got in the conversation and the point was is I shared some stuff and he goes dude like you need to go talk I'm like what do you what I just thought I I had this is how green I was like you said I thought that every dude struggled with sex and pornography however it's just one of those things you just quietly deal with the rest of your life like you know what I mean you do your best but everyone fails I literally at that time in my existence because every male I knew up until that point in my life at 18 years old was addicted to sex and pornography. I didn't look at it as like addiction. They just did it, and it was just part of life. And and uh, every male I thought had that. And so that uh, because that's what I seen. That was my reality. So then when I go to my bishop, who I already 
didn't say a word to, like, because I'm like, I'm not going to talk. Like, I, mean, I didn't have sex today, so, like, yeah, no, I'm good. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> I had sex yesterday. I had sex the, I had, yeah, I had sex with the girl I baptized right after. Like, that I mean, the, yeah, that was what he told me. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, dude, like, and he's like, no, I didn't tell him this shit. I'm like, bro, we need to, let's chat. Let's have a good chat. <laughs> yeah. And then, so, th- so then, but here's the crazy, Satan instantly, it's like Adam and Eve, right? Like, as soon as, as soon as you realize you're naked, you're scared of God. Yeah. Right? So as soon as I realized that I had been sinning, the, the first thing I wanted to do was now lie. Where I'd been 100% honest up to that point, I'm going, I don't want to go tell it. I thought I was 100%. But like, this is where you can be like, you know, um, sins of omission, not really understanding. Commission. Commission, right? Didn't really understand what I was doing. And then when I went to that stake present, I would never forget to tell him what was that. Because is there anything else you need to tell him? Like, well, I tied this conversation with this guy at work. And he said, there's some things. So I'm going to drop this on you. I don't know what to think of it. And I'll never forget like the way he handled that because he, if he handled it any other way, it could have changed everything, right? I've been a member for a year at that point, yeah. exactly one year, With, without any religion really before. Zero yeah. religion, zero. I mean, read the Bible when it was one of those little handout Bibles. So there's a lot of assumptions that probably the missionaries thought, like, oh, yeah. of course you know this. Of yeah. course you know this. And this is before like, preaching yeah. my gospel. Well, this that's is the just thing, like the, the missionaries no, didn't you don't teach go into this detail. Stuff. I remember Jay telling me specifically the missionaries never told me anything about that. We just talked about Joe Smith, and yeah. as soon as I said I want, I believe no, in no, it, it was like the question is, are you willing to live like? Chastity? Sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I want but, to. But you don't tell what the law of chastity is. I'm willing is. to. Well, no, I yeah. wanted to. I was like, yeah, I don't want to. Like, I knew at that point I shouldn't be doing it, but I was just thought, like, hey, man, yeah. like, it's a cat. It grew- My view of religion was what I saw in movies. So, like, everyone had to go and say the Hail Mary for the, banging the, the girl the, next door. The like, Scarface, like, uh, I killed someone, but I'm going to go. Yeah, you go over bed, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's what people do. Like, that's what movies tell you. Yeah. And that, my, my idea of said, but my idea of religion was what I saw in movies, right? <laughs> it really was. Like, it really was. I believe and so, you, I know. So, then, what I'm getting at is then when I came clean to the state president, he handled it so loving. I'll never forget it, President Wolfenden. Uh, it was the most amazing way he handled it. He said, listen, it's all good. You know what? Heavenly Father loves you. And I'll never forget it. He said, we're going to work through this, and you're going to get on that mission like you want to do desperately, because I really wanted to for whatever weird reason. And um, then, though, once that conversation, I had to go back to that bishop and then yeah. tell him all the stuff, and that's where Satan came in even harder. But then I did it. And uh, I'll never forget the feeling of relief that came from that one moment. It was it was like nothing I've ever felt before. It was almost, almost a euphoric high, in a sense, before I'd even touched drugs like that. But it was, it was a feeling of the most freest feeling I've ever felt. And to overcome the next six months, um, which was the goal of six months, uh, they didn't give me a timeline, but that's what it ended up being. But uh, six months, I had to rid myself from everything. And it went from someone who looked at pornography at that point probably three, four, five times a day, like since I, was, since I got a computer, you know, so at 14 or whatever that was. Um, so now at 19, so five years of three, four times a day, like that was normal. Like, and then I would go try to have sex with whoever wouldn't want to have sex. Like, that's just what people do outside the church, right? Guys do. And uh, I'm being real. And, and, but so that, that happened. The reason why I say that, that was my motive. That was all I lived for. And then it went to the point where um, I'll never forget I was at the dumpster. Right before I go on my mission, I've been clean for six months. I get my papers and I know where I'm going. I'm at the dumpster with my stepbrother, who is not a member of the church, who was just like the old me, right? And my biggest, first time I spoke pot was with him, like, you know, biggest influence, like, I wanted to be like him. I wanted yeah. to be accepted by him. <clears throat> we were for her, or doing some type of construction. We we're taking stuff to the dump right here off of the Highway. And uh, he's like, look at this. And he picked up a pole, like a printout picture, like we never see anymore, but like an actual photograph of some, some nudes of someone, like some couple having sex. And I'll never forget it because he was on the other side of the truck and both of our doors were open. I was looking through the cab at him and he goes, and he's looking at these things. 
And I'll never forget, I went from the dude like who we just talked about to six months later going, I, I'm like, I, I don't want anything. I, like it was the, it was a fear as if someone put a gun in my face. Like, like to the you point of scared. You I was that. scared to death and I'll never forget it. And he goes, he looked at me cause he didn't really know about my religion. He didn't, he yeah, just knew that I was changed. He knew old Jay. He knew old Jay and he knew this new Jay, but not really cause I yeah. didn't really share that much with him. And I'll never forget. He goes, just look. Uh, cause he kept saying that like the old Jay would have told him to look, you know what yeah. I mean? I was so obsessed. And he threw the picture. I'll never forget this. He threw the picture across the cab and it landed perfectly face up for the picture to see it on the um, on my passenger uh, seat, and I was outside of the cab, and I remember seeing it, and the panic of fear, because I knew what it was like to shut that door in my life, that now it had opened, and uh, I remember dropping to my knees in the dump, in a dump, like, dude, there, it smelled like, you know, it smells horrible, and I remember dropping to my knees in front of someone who was not religious, and I wasn't that type of guy to do that in front of someone like him, but at that moment, and I, I remember dropping to my knees and begging God to take that image out of my mind, hmm. and uh, and I meant it. It wasn't. I didn't care about him. I didn't care yeah. about who was there. I don't care if the whole world saw me at that point. It was, it was a, a run and hide moment, you know. And uh, I'll never forget it because, uh, anyways, that's the power of the atonement. I could take you from in six months, from, you know, Where really repenting. Going? You know what I mean? To not. And, anyways. It's, it's well, power the, of this the program, theme I right? got from that's how real it is is what I'm getting at. Yeah. It's just no different than if he took a pill today because he had surgery. Just like we both had since our recovery, you take that first pill, like which I've had to do just recently for my tongue surgery. That's the, the same type of fear. So it's the same. Identifying with all this stuff, it's all the and same. No different. Well, you got those out. Of, you flushed those down so, the toilet as soon as you didn't need taking them because you want them out of your life. It, Instantaneously, just like I wanted to but jump down so, on my knees. So let me read full circle. Is that because the power you had from admitting you were an addict that gave you that fear of like yeah, I don't want to go back there? God, either tw I go back to either twelve twenty seven. God says, if men come unto me, I'll show them their weakness. So first, you have to come to Him, humble yourself, do step one. Then He does this process of showing it to you. Then, if you remain humble, the weak things are strong, right? But the key is, is you got to come to Him first. So if you come to Him and you self-identify, which is the point of the podcast, you will learn why. People email us, they write us, they yeah. call us, they say, I'm stuck. You're stuck because yeah. you haven't fully, you haven't done step one. As soon as you do step one, which I talked about earlier, immediately hope comes in. Immediately faith well, comes the, in. Immediately all these other things come in. And I know we're short on time, but the, the reason is, is because it just takes the power out of it. Yes. It just takes the power of, okay, I'm an addict. Whatever it is, I'm an addict. You don't and, longer and, have and, to have and you this don't, urge. You don't have to wear a T-shirt, and you, no, have to, you no, don't no, need to admit no, that no, outside no. the you room. You don't have to say it outside to, any, to it anyone is, but a sponsor. Yeah, yeah it, it, it literally, but what it does is it stops the craziness in between your ears from going back and forth and back and forth and trying to gain control, losing control, gain, and then you say, okay, I'm an addict, I'm powerless, I have no power over this, I can't do this on my own. The only way I can do this is by turning this over to God and him doing for me what I can't do for myself. That is literally the, the whole reason. Because if we start this whole thing, like you see commercials on TV, I was a heroin addict for 10 years, and now I'm, no, I'm healed. Yeah. When I start thinking that I'm no longer an addict, is that's when things start to get really dangerous. Because yeah. I think that I'm in class. control. I, oh, oh, I got a headache. Oh, a friend's got a Vicodin. Oh, no big deal. It's just a Vicodin. No, that's BS. The, as soon as I take that, as soon as I touch that, it's over. Everything I've worked for is gone. And that's 
the power of admitting and, that you're and, freaking And is out. there, uh, both of you, I guess you were married though, Jay, but like the, the, the spouse of an addict, is there, are there, is there, I guess I should ask the spouses that, like, do they not want to admit that their spouse is an addict or your child's an addict? They don't want to admit. Well, I think what we heard tonight is better rather than going that route. Yeah. What we heard tonight is admitting that you're not a victim anymore. Like, okay. yeah, you may be a victim, like I said. Yeah, your, your husband may have cheated on you. He may have done this. He may have done that to you while he's in a drunken rage or, or, or your rage or your wife or vice versa. But sooner or later, you got to take action for what you can control. And you can decide to sit and cry about it all day long and complain about it to all your friends, complain to the bishop, the ward, to him, to your kids, and make mm-hmm. life worse for yourself. Or you can do what we're talking about: self-identify that, hey, my left, I'm powerless over husband's husband yeah. or wife or, or X, Y, or Z. I can't control this. I'm powerless. That's it. I need God to do for me what I can't do for myself. It doesn't matter what it is. And then you gain power instantaneously. And and so if you want to go back and, and listen to our podcast of spouses of addicts, there's two or three at least of those, and those are some of our top listens too. By the way, yeah, is do, uh, do people like when I'm on? Do they listen to it? Is that is it up there or no? You know, our top ones are actually our very first one, and we have we have the most listens to the pornography addiction ones. Uh, then I'm not coming back. Um, to be honest, you're my most favorite. Don't tell everyone else, but he's my most favorite. That's why he's, I he's the most on, recurring. I want him on more than Lexi. But everyone does love <laughs> Lexi. Uh, yeah. She always breaks, like, what we're talking about in a weird way. It, it goes, Xander, you're if awesome. The, if the here. listeners don't you're want my me, if the listeners don't want me, I don't need to be here. Okay, no. give a shout out so I can screenshot it and shoot him a tag so he comes back. No, seriously, I, I <laughs> Jay, I probably don't share enough with you the feedback we get. On, well, you see the Facebook ones, I think. Sometimes the Instagram. I don't read them, but yeah, he doesn't read them. I read them. Tell me to respond to someone because yeah. they need my help. Jay, don't take it personal. Jay just doesn't read anything. He'll listen yeah, to it. Send an audio message to him. Listen to us about abs or, like, like how to get strong. <laughs> but it's humbling, to, and I we thank you. It keeps winning our sales. It keeps us up here late. It's really late tonight. Yeah, my wife's going to kill him. Xander's wife's going to kill him. But, like, when you say it gives you hope and you're listening to it and you may not have a meeting in your area and or you're taking this to go to the state president or bishop to say, look, here's how it should be, here's how it can be, you know, we're not – we're not super special people. We've just done what other people have done before us. And it works. And it works, and we're doing what works, and you can do this where you are. Take a three-day vacation. Come hit Tuesday night meeting, Wednesday night meeting, Thursday night meeting. Fly out Yeah, Southern California, we've had it. You can literally crash at somebody's house, come out here. We can literally find you a person to stay with. Yeah, yeah, come hit all three meetings, take it back Or spend 60, 70 bucks a night, and you can can see what what meetings are supposed to be. We just had someone visit from New Jersey. New Jersey, yeah. Yeah, he was out here for We have people from all over California. Shout out to Chad. Oh. Um, So. They don't know Chad. No, but uh, hey, Chad or Chaz? we got to go, boys. Anyways, thank you for listening. Self-identifying power. Um, if you're uh, if you're not admitting and you think you should, uh, open up in a meeting and let go. This just doesn't mean go. you have to let go in Sunday school or Elder School presence. I said this last week. You weren't here, real quick. When, it's the only team that when you surrender, you win. All right. Till next time, Brad. call from thee help him we pray to learn humility direct his footsteps every day and keep him ever walking in thy ways inspire him as he spreads the gospel plan lord hold him in the hollow of thy hand in the hollow of thy hand Oh
blessings of 